The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. Uh, wait, wait. Right. I was hasty and rude. And obstructive. All reasonable under the circumstances. You say the paperwork is, is now in your loft? It's a loft of sorts, but yes. Retrieve it. I've reconsidered. Oh, there's mistake kidney pie. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Welcome to episode 57 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that's finding it difficult to keep up with the displacement of previously anonymous motor vehicles. I'm Gavin. That's quite funny. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's always meant to be. Whether it is or not, well, that's a different question. Yeah. I'm amused. Okay, good. <laughs> How are you this week? Um, I'm hanging in there. Kids are leaving for the summer. It's always kind of an emotional time. Yes, they are. Yeah, you get to drive them all by yourself. Never done that before, I don't think. No, you, well, you've gone as far as Pennsylvania with them. By yourself. Yep. But not all the way to Connecticut by yourself. No. I have, but you haven't. I've never driven all the way back on my own. Oh. But I'm aiming to get back for Monday trivia. Or at least the end of trivia. I'll be all by myself. You're still going though, right? All weekend long, yes. Yes, um, and in fact, yes. <laughs> well, that thing that I said that I was going to be going to at five o'clock, I'm actually going to be going to it in July instead of June. So you don't remember this conversation at all, do you? Vaguely. I don't remember the details <laughs> of it, though. If it's not happening until July, then I guess I don't need to know until then. Yeah, city council meeting. That was my guess. Yeah. So we yeah we start recording these these days around about eight thirty and we're typically done by just about the back of ten o'clock. I work on it until about half past one or two o'clock in the morning, and then I'm going to do that and get up and drive for fourteen hours. So sleep in. Yeah. Sleep in as much as possible until Benny gets home. And... Right. I've been trying to figure out where to stop in Pennsylvania. Wilkes Barre is looking like a good choice, or a place that I went to in 1994 called. Benton, Pennsylvania, home to Fishing Creek, where I first had my uh, fly fishing experience with my cousin David and his Ooh. wife Kitty. Yes. So I might pop through there just for old time's sake. Oh. We'll be in the middle of the night, so right. <laughs> there's no much point. Yeah. We'll see how we got on. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Cory News. <laughs> <laughs> and and here's a proper jingle.
Did you prepare Corey news? <laughs> Did you? I'll ask you first. <laughs> well, I assume since he said Corey news that you had something prepared because we don't always have Corey news. I thought we agreed that this would be your remit through the week to pull together some items of Corey news. Yeah, but I I couldn't really find anything interesting. Could so you? you didn't? No. Okay. That's good that I did then. Well, like I said, nothing interesting popped up. So you don't think it's interesting that Tristan Gemmell, who's currently Robert on the street, and who announced his uh, departure from the show in April, mm-hmm. uh, we got details this week of the first new bit of acting he's going to get his chomps into, and it involves him throwing sweeties at the children of Swansea. And if his role in Corey's anything to go by, it will also involve lots and lots of lying. He's taken the role of Captain Hook in the pantomime Peter Pan at the Swansea Grand Theatre, or at least that's what he says. It co-stars no one else I've ever heard of at the moment. And we don't really get pantomime over here. No. It's a big thing in the UK. Yeah, I know. Over- I kind of wish I kind of wish we did. I mean, what's the closest thing we have to panto? I don't think there's anything close to it, is there? Where you have pretty much every operating theatre in the country manages to scrounge together at least a few stars to put on shows like Babes in the Woods and Dick Whittington and Peter Pan and Sleeping Beauty and all these other fairy tale things. It's always done in a kind of camp fashion with... used to be typically a uh, a woman would play the leading boy mm. and men would dress up in drag as the ugly sisters or whatever. Right. And... I tended to vomit any time I went to a pantomime as a child and ruin it for everyone. <laughs> well done, you. Thank you very much. I mean, you'll you'll see scatterings of stuff like that from time to time around different places. I remember going to something kind of like that up in upstate New York one time when I was vacationing with the kids when they were when they were wee, um, but. Not, it's a big country, mm-hmm. so it's kind of tough, I would think, to get something that well organized. I think it could certainly be done in pockets, if not or certainly across the country, but maybe on the yeah. east coast or the west coast or something like that. I mean, I we have Broadway. Yeah, but it doesn't do musicals. It doesn't do big camp theater musicals, though, does it? Well, it it At does Christmas. camp. Not at Christmas, and, though. Well, Christmas not, you have uh, the Rockettes show. And, and not aimed particularly at children. No. No, we don't really care for our children over here. No, <laughs> not I'm that much. Kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so and much. I mean, we have like, you'll, you'll have like local Christmas plays and things sometimes. But that's more nativity stuff. Yeah. This isn't nativity. Right. This is looking for an equivalency here that I don't think exists. No. I really don't think there is. Anyway, if you know of a panto thing in the US, please let us know. Our mailbag. (laughs) John got in touch to say, while I agree it wasn't a bad week and the new family is much needed to freshen things up, I feel the suspension of reality really went to town and then some. How on earth could the Leanne slash Natalie thing all happen so quick? And what a coincidence that the other girl in the house was wearing the exact same outfit as Natalie. With the amount of structural work going on at number three, have the Bailey family got the necessary building permission? And where's Wayne when you need him? So many plot holes in the horse story that I could write a whole chapter. And finally, I wish they would all just put us out of our misery and tell us who the fuck is RP. 
Good well, news, we know John. It happens this week. Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, we we talked about the whole Natalie's roommate kind of looking like her from the back and wearing the exact wearing same, the same thing, have the same clothes and the that that same was hairstyle and stuff. Obviously done on purpose to mm-hmm. make us think that that was Natalie. Yeah. So it was a little bit. It's, it's mm. not really a suspension of disbelief. It's an intentional. Oh no! It wasn't gotcha suspension moment. of disbelief. Yeah. It was a suspension of reality because right. that wouldn't happen typically. Eh. What? Teenage girls do tend to er, dress. She's a teenager. Well, not she's not a teenager, but she's in her early twenties. Young women do tend to dress alike sometimes and wear similar things and have similar hair. Mm. Something happened on her Podbean page that never happens. What? Somebody commented on it. What? <laughs> Somebody called FBRWAT from the Newport FBRWATs, I think. <laughs> they wrote into saying no one even died in the Michigan and Ohio War. The UP was probably a good deal for you guys. He lives in the bit Ohio got to keep, and it's not exactly picturesque. Although the Toronto Art Museum is very nice. Toronto? Toledo. Toledo. I do that all the time. Toledo, Toledo. Whoever it is must live in round about Toledo, which I will be passing through at some point tomorrow. According to Wikipedia, there was one injury when a Mexican deputy sheriff called Joseph Wood was stabbed with a penknife by a son of a Major Benjamin Stickney. That person's name was Two. T-W-O. Yes. Two's big brother was? One. Yes. And his little sister was? Not three. No. Indiana. Yeah. Because she was born in Indiana, but they spell Indiana with two N's at the start. Yeah. They they weren't very creative people, were they? I kind of suggest that the the one and the two weren't deliberate. If they don't (laughs) go then for a three, if they go one, two, Indiana... Well, maybe it's, maybe they think numbers are just boys' names. It sounds like a kind of skipping tune, doesn't it? One, two, Indiana, three, four. Pennsylvania. Ste- steal a spanner or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Chris wrote in with a very lengthy email. You're not going to go through all of it, I'm are not going to go through all of it, but I'm going to hit some of the main points. Okay. Uh, and then I will argue them. <laughs> yes. I think it makes a decent argument. Mm. Having watched much of this week again, I think Mr. Barlow is owed an apology, chaps. He says, Red Ken has always been a card-carrying socialist, often to the annoyance of the show's more conservative occupants. And although I'm aware that frequently people's political leanings tend to drift further to the right as they age, yeah. he's never, to my knowledge, displayed any racist tendencies, and I don't think he's doing so here. Irrespective of the ethnicity of the people doing the work, if I were to see someone going in and out of an empty house to and from a skip in a large flat-back truck carrying building materials wearing high-vis apparel, I think that I would also assume that they were contractors. I don't know of any non-tradespersons who would do DIY on their own property wearing such attire. Ken just mentioned the new owners once, and Ed said nothing to correct him. And then all through the episode, he and his son were referring to his boss, describing Aggie as a ball-breaker, total psycho, and a nasty piece of work. And at every point, talking about Ken's new neighbours, always in the third person. Why wouldn't he think that that high-vis-wearing person was a builder rather than the owner? All right. First of all, socialism does not mean that you can't be racist or sexist. Historically, many socialists have been both sexist and racist and worried really... When they, when they refer to the common man, they refer to the white common man. So let's just get that out of the way first and foremost, because we know Ken is just a bit patronizing and patriarchal and a wee bit sexist, you know, 
commanding Claudia not to speak until he finishes his crossword, etc., etc. Second of all, well, yes, I see your point. You know, the thing that really kind of stuck out to me that made it seem just a wee bit racist was the fact that Ken kind of gets in Ed's face and is complaining and threatening and obtuse and bullying. But then when Ed finally gives him the quote-unquote new neighbor's number, all of a sudden he's sweetness and light and wants Tracy to go handle it for him because he doesn't want to make issue with his new neighbours, who he assumes to be white. Well, you don't know that he assumes that. Yes, but it's a safe assumption. Because, as Chris points out in his email, the majority of the town that he assumes that Weatherfield is based upon is majority white. I think we get, and I mean, we're, 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 we're verging on some really kind of deep stuff that's not really the point of our podcast here but I think we we skirt a fine line when we say when we when we say oh so and so says and does racist things but they're not a racist you know because people do that all the time with our dear leader but again though in the Ken example what he said could be perceived as being racist but similarly, it could be perceived as not being because it could have, it could also be considered classist, I guess. Because Chris didn't think it was racist, right? We kind of did, yeah. And but I think we're kind of a little bit more sensitive, maybe here to that sort of language. I don't know. Yeah. If it just makes you a little itchy, all I really wanted was Ken to say, "Are you the new neighbour?" <laughs> And then Which the, he didn't do. And this whole thing just goes away. And I mean... The fact that he didn't, I think, left it deliberately ambiguous. Like the show wanted us to have this conversation, I think. Right, yeah. And that afterwards, you made the point that afterwards, after he found out that they were the new neighbours and he was kind of embarrassed and stuff, it would have been nice for Ken to say, or for another member of his family to say, I hope they didn't think you were being racist in the way that you were acting. Right. And I think just doing that would have cleared the whole thing up. But they left it ambiguous. It could be taken one way. It could be taken the other way. And we will never know what was going on inside Ken's mind. Right. Because he's a fictitious character. (laughs) (laughs) First and foremost, the the issue with with doing that. Thank you, Chris, for your your correspondence for giving us something to to think about and, and chat about. And to agree to disagree. And I do think this is what the show was aiming to happen. Right. By its ambiguity. Just by being really subtle about it and kind of nudging us with our elbows. Right. Yeah. Hindsight Corner. The I'm fucking Matt Damon song. <laughs> it does indeed feature a line about how do you like them apples? Matt Damon uses a rhyme with Diet Snapple. It's a line that Damon delivers as he's drawing attention to Sarah Silverman's breasts. How do you like them apples? Dem apples. Which is odd because her breasts are much larger than apples. Right. That's what makes it weird. <laughs> Michael Bailey, according to the Express website, is 27. 
Right. James is 19. Wow, that's like uh, Benny and Nick. Although the actor who plays James, Nathan Graham, is 28. (laughs) What? And the actor who plays Michael is how old? 26. (laughs) What? Ed and Aggie are described to be in their 50s. So that's the ages of of the Baileys. That was quite funny. He doesn't look... So the one who plays... 19-year-old. The 19-year-old is older than the one that plays the 28-year-old. 27-year-old, yeah. 27-year-old. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, we wondered how far Carlisle was from Manchester. We guessed around about the 60 and 100-mile mark. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit further, 120 miles up the M6, so around about a two-hour two drive. Two hours. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's nothing. Two hours in traffic. Mm. So... What's the traffic like out there? On the M6, pretty heavy. Mm. All the way? Between Manchester and Carlisle? Yeah, probably. Mm. Fair chunk of the way, anyway. Shall we dive in, uh, my dear? Oh, no. Because oh, you're insistent on keeping this what you're drinking thing going. What are you drinking? I am drinking. Excellent. Okay, so <laughs> shall we... <laughs> okay, what is it you're drinking? <laughs> you're so funny. I'm drinking this Synergy Organic... Kombucha, it's guava goddess, and oh, that's what I got this week. I got no, this week, no, this I? is from last week. Oh, okay. I just hadn't drunk it yet, so I wanted to drink it first before the thing you got me this week. Okay, and then ice water in my Doctor Who cup with a splash of lemon juice. Fancy. Thank you. I'm also wearing a Doctor Who T-shirt. What are you drinking? Diet Werner. No, you're not. Oh, you are. What else are you drinking? And the Bushini. Yay! Shall we dive in with you? Yes, please. We just have the five stories to get through wood, this wood. week. I've smooshed a couple of them together, but I think it will hopefully make sense. Smoosh. Our first story tonight is Daniel and Sinead. On Monday, Daniel seems to be preoccupied with Sinead's upcoming test and is trying to arrange a trip to the lakes to show Bertie the boats. But Sinead would rather wait until after the Friday scan's been done. Do you think... Bertie cares about boats yet. Not one shit does Bertie <laughs> care. Every time you see that baby's asleep. Oh, he was awake. Oh, he was awake at the end of... A wee bit. On Friday, yeah. Beth interrupts Daniel at the bistro. She thinks that he and Sinead are keeping things from her and Daniel reveals that he's worried that Sinead is worried about the scan and is keeping stuff from him. She has form, after all. And because she didn't want to go to the lakes and show an infant baby some fucking boats, <laughs> now he thinks she's either not feeling well enough or has new symptoms, rather than she just has you know, better things to do with her time to look at boats. Right. Beth says that she will get the truth out of Sinead. Then Ken is off to the pub to get himself organised for his photography class that's happening later at Roy's Rolls. Ooh. Why, why Roy's Rolls, do you think? It's so tiny. Why would... Why would... Roy say, sure, you could have a photography class. You could have a photography class here in my teeny tiny cafe. Where else is going to have it? Speed Dal, I guess, could have it. Yeah. Can't really have it at the community centre right now. No, isn't there a reason why... Oh, no, that was last week that Roy's Rolls had electrical problems, wasn't it? Was that last week? Yes. So Beth and Sinead are in Roy's roles and Sinead pretends that she doesn't know the time of her scan and that, oh, she's feeling fine. And Beth sees right through it. And Sinead admits to being scared. 
and Beth later tells Daniel that she's, sp- she's spoken to Sinead and there's nothing for him to worry about. She's not hiding anything at all. Right, yeah. She's just a little nervous too. She's not scared about anything specific. She's not feeling any symptoms or anything. Right, she's just not looking forward to having a scan. Right. Which seems normal. absolutely fair enough. Depending upon, probably an MRI, yeah. And those aren't fun. I think so, yeah. Ken is at Roy's Rolls with the photography tutor, who I think is called Melody. I'm not sure. It's something like that. Melody or Melanie, something like that. And he is shocked to find that Beth has turned up. She's there to join the night class too, and he's a total snob about it. He really is. Surely this isn't the sort of thing that Beth is interested, he says. Fuck you, Ken, she says, and she signs up. And I wasn't sure if that was truly her intention. If she was just there because she was there to see Sinead and it just so happened to be happening. I think that's what happened, yeah. Right. Once again, Ken Barlow, man of the people. <laughs> Later in the bistro, despite Sinead not wanting to go away, Daniel has gone and booked a hotel in the Scottish borders anyway. Has he booked it or has he... He's been looking. Because in that particular scene, there's like papers with, you know, printouts of different ones. And he says he was just looking, that he didn't actually... I got the impression he'd actually booked something because she she slapped him. Because he was looking. You get slapped for looking? <laughs> yes, you do get slapped for looking. Yeah, you do get slapped for looking. <laughs> On Wednesday then, the photography class is underway at Roy's Rolls and the instructor's talking about the rule of threes and composition and Ken is being a pompous know-it-all. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, uh-huh. Oh, yes. Excellent point. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> The class is over and Ken is hogging the instructor's time with his photos of walls. Beth has only had one lesson so she doesn't have anything to share with them. The instructor very conveniently tells them, and not the other half dozen people who could be bothered to turn up, about a smartphone photo competition that's been organised by the Gazette. The deadline is tomorrow morning at 9am. Convenient. Very convenient. Ken will definitely enter and he thinks that Beth should do so as well. Yeah, but he doesn't really think that. No. He's being an asshole. So then Beth is back at Sinead's with Bertie, complaining about Ken being such a pompous old prick. She takes a photo of Bertie, which comes out very well indeed. You can stick that up your arse, Barlow, she says. Right up up your your arse! (laughs) Later at the Rovers, Beth tells Ken that she's entering the competition. He thinks that she's joking until he knows that she isn't, and she claims that he's worried that she's going to win with her lovely picture of Bertie. Oh, It's an okay picture of Bertie. It's okay. I mean... It's kind of off-centre, which is the rule of three right, thing. Right, yes. Is Birdie, Some focus. Is Birdie the most photogenic baby in the world, though? Oh, that's... <laughs> this is not... This is not a charitable thing to say. He's a, lo- he's a lovely baby. <laughs> he just looks a little bit like Winston Churchill. All babies look like Winston Churchill. So that's fine. Then on Friday... Sinead and Daniel are preparing themselves for that scan thing. Bertie will be spending time with Beth, who reveals that she took six years off after she after her Craigie was born. Yeah. That must have been a tough birth. <laughs> well, I I took like three years off for Benny, I think. Three or four. Well, no, it couldn't have been that many because I was back to work when I got pregnant with Sally. So I took about a year off with Benny. And that's the only one I took any huge amount of time, more than a month off. Mm-hmm. So fo- well done, Beth. Yeah. The photo woman bursts into the corner shop. She's been looking for Beth everywhere. She's been looking at the factory and everywhere. 
Hasn't she seen today's Gazette, she says. Beth's picture has made it to the final round. Hers is the only photo from anyone in the class. Well, maybe if you've given somebody more than like five hours notice, mm. Melody, if that is your name, mm. you'd have a better entry rate. Yeah, but Ken didn't make it. Ken didn't it. make it. His picture of graffiti on walls, unfortunately, didn't make the cut. No. The woman has given uh, the photo the caption, Where's Mummy? Beth thinks this is a great idea. Beth thinks it's fine. You know, she doesn't... She's not going to say, that's a horrible thing. You know, that's the dumbest caption ever. She's just so chuffed that it got in. But one would think that when you entered your picture into the competition, you would have to have given it a name, a caption. Yeah, I would have thought so. Yeah. Where's mummy, even if... Sinead wasn't maybe not long for this world. That's not a great title for a picture <laughs> of a baby, is it? Well, because he, he kind of has a quizzical look on his face, like, where's Bobby? Which could be, Which, have I just shot myself? or Probably I, just gas. Did I leave the gas on? Yes, the gas out of his ass mm-hmm. is on. Sinead and Daniel are back at Roy's Rolls. It'll be a few more weeks until they find out how the scan went. Really? Yeah. That's the NHS for you. No, it's just... Doop, 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 doop. Tory cuts. <laughs> in comes Beth and shows them the photo of Bertie, which is enough to make Sinead break down and run away. Yeah. But we know that it's not really the picture that makes her break down. No. It's that title that we were talking about. Right. Being inappropriate. At home... Keep staring over there. Oh, I have the tweet activity up for my picture of Gail. Uh, Wait, oh? Oh? Just to see the impressions tick up. It's quite funny. At home, Sinead has just realised that one day Bertie is going to ask, where's mummy himself? And Daniel won't know what to say. I think Daniel will know what to say. Yeah. She did. <laughs> I was going to say that and then I decided, no, I think that's a little too cruel. So I took that out. No, but she's not really going to. This is just her, you know, this is just hypothetically what Daniel would say <laughs> if he would, she went. He would either say, she's sitting over there, <laughs> or she did. Or she's at work yep. making beard oil for David. Uh-huh. And perhaps packing knickers. Daniel or sewing will, knickers. Daniel will know what to say. Yes. And this is the one time a tinker got in the paper for a good reason, she says, and that makes them both chuckle. Now Sinead feels bad is pretty funny. for raining on Beth's parade. Daniel advises talking to Beth. Now go make me my dinner. <laughs> he does not <laughs> say <laughs> that. I thought he said that. Maybe, maybe <laughs> Later, Beth explains that her tutor was the one who picked the caption, and now she sees how it was so inappropriate. Beth is about to pack in photography, but Sinead wants some family portraits and she wants Beth to do it. Beth has become David Bailey in the last few hours and set up a white backdrop uh, uh, in Sinead's flat and arranged petals for Daniel to throw at her. This but is Daniel's for, not going to be in the picture. No, until they come to do the nude photographs. <laughs> uh, Daniel's. I think that was a joke. Daniel's junk just jumps back up into his, into his body at that point. Uh, yeah, so Sinead's dressed in white and has Bertie and Daniel throw some petals and it's all lovely and... Uh, Beth's still just using her phone. Yeah. And Daniel stands at her back and goes, Oh. Yeah. And that's kind of the end of that. Hi, Bertie. You 
look over here, Bertie. Bertie goes, huh? Who are you? Where are my cigars? <laughs> we will fight them on the beaches. <laughs> <laughs> we will never surrender. <laughs> Show me one baby that doesn't look like Winston Churchill. So, uh, how are you feeling about uh, the mortality of Sinead Tinker at the moment? So, I think she's going to live for now. I guess I kind of. I think it'd just be really bad form for them to. To kill her off now. To kill her off now after going through all that. Yeah. We went through, you may remember, quite a lengthy storyline <sighs> a few months ago. Yes. That involved potentially fictitious, non existent people who also lied about. That was the one who thought that Popuri could cure cancer. That one, right. her name was yes. Steph. Steph. She's deceased now. Yeah, she is dead. She's a fictitious dead person. Yeah, and her boyfriend doesn't know what to say to anybody about that. No. But the... Except for Daniel, who he... No, no, he told Bethany. No, not Bethany, Sinead. Why would she tell Bethany? Because Bethany's involved in everything at the moment. <laughs> and it really annoys me. Anyway. Yeah, I think it'd be quite bad form to, to write her out at this point. After yeah. going through all that. Yeah. Let's keep Sinead. I like Sinead. Yes. And her baby. 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 Our next storyline tonight is The Revenge of Rick the Chin. <laughs> <laughs> the short-lived revenge of Rick the Chin. <laughs> it's, it's bad that... No, is it bad that we're laughing at that? No. He's a comedy villain. He's... He's like the worst villain ever. No more threatening than a fly in the air. Has been has beaten up Gary so many times. It's Susan I feel bad for. Oh, who's going to take care of Susan? Hashtag Susan. <laughs> Sharon will water her every once in a while. Oh, Sharon's done with that. She's been seen hide nor hair of Sharon since mm. she ran out on them. Yeah. On Monday then, Bethany bumps into Sarah in the morning. Bethany is in her gym jams because she couldn't tie 15 knots in her hair or something. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> And that was cute and funny because that's and that's something you do, you know, three girls in a house doing dares and stuff and so that was it was a nice uh glimpse into the life of Bethany and Emma and is it Maria who lives there as well? Uh, possibly. I think so. Yeah, it's yeah. Maria, Emma and Bethany. Sharon a flat. Where's Craig? Craig is at his own flat that he used to share with Kate and what's her name? Rana. Rana, <laughs> who is also a deceased fictitious <laughs> A lot of fake dead people tonight. And and soap operas, yeah, there's places a lot of So anyway, Sarah tells her that she's off to the Midlands for a business meeting, an overnight stay and everything. Audrey's going to look after Harry. I was glad that she mentioned Harry. Yeah, that's helpful. Then Bethany has another go at Sarah about Gary. Yawn. Rick the Chin is out of jail and is battering on the door of number eight looking for Gary or Sarah. Bethany, who seems to just glide from storyline to storyline these days, pops up and stands up to him, refusing to be intimidated. That was quite good. Yes, well. Rick eventually gives up and leaves, but not before Bethany snaps a photo of him getting into his car. Then Adam and Sarah are checking into a lovely hotel. Sarah was expecting something seedier. Adam says, we can work on that. Ha <laughs> ha. 
and the two of them are deplorable with each other in the foyer. Then Gary meets Bethany in the pub looking for Sarah. Gary's texted her, but she hasn't responded. For some reason, Bethany finds this peculiar. Oh, I don't know, Bethany. Maybe it's because for weeks Sarah hasn't been showing any interest in him whatsoever. She tells him she's away on business and then goes on to mention her running with Rick the Chin and she shows Gary the photo. Only she doesn't know it's Rick the Chin until Gary identifies him via the photo. Then later, back at the hotel, Gary's on the phone to Sarah. She takes a strange step of turning down the volume on her phone first and then dingies the call and then sends Adam to find out if the room is ready. She is dying to get her hole. Who can blame her? Back. (laughs) With that hair. Uh, her hair or his hair? <laughs> it's horrible, awful hair. I just imagine it to be very sticky. I imagine it to be like a helmet. Or crunchy? Yeah, a little bit crunchy. <laughs> oh. And your hands are going to smell. Right. Oh, oh. And they're going to be... It's quite tacky as well. And, yeah, you wouldn't Ugh. be able to... Like, you, could, you couldn't read a newspaper after <laughs> that, I don't think. Or Who use, newspapers? Or use toilet paper. Oh, no, just, no, I would, no, I would so hope messy. you would wash your heads before you went to the bathroom. Oh, sometimes and then after you, the bathroom. Sometimes you have to go. So, back in the Preach house, to the choir there, pal. Gary is leaving a message on Sarah's phone. Gary and Bethany are looking for some clues as to which hotel she's at, but to no avail. Gary explains about the loan shark and Bethany goes to speak to the knicker people to see if their wisdom can help her in the search for Sarah. <laughs> Knicker people, they never disappoint. <laughs> I don't know if there's ever going to be a time where the knicker people doesn't make me laugh. <laughs> Later, because plot, tech-dependent Bethany has only just remembered that they have this thing on their phone called Find Your Phone Now, and she's able to see that Sarah is in town and not in the Midlands after all, as she'd claimed to be earlier this morning. This is weird. It's that fancy hotel is in town. Yeah. In Manchester. Manchester does have some fancy hotels. Gary's off to find her and Bethany offers to drive, but then remembers that she's had a drink, so gives Gary her keys. Because Bethany has a car now. She had a car before. I don't think she did. I remember another storyline where somebody had to borrow that car. That's where Sarah had a car, but it was a different car. It wasn't a wee Fiat 500 like Bethany's got. It was a different car. I remember that pink fuzzy thing she's got in the window before. Sarah had a car. Toya had a car. Chesney had that battered old Volvo that he had that towed the uh, meth lab round about uh, north of England or whatever. Correct. But I don't remember Beth ever having a car. Everybody in this country has a car, so I don't understand why people are so confused why Bethany has a car. Because we've never seen the car, and she never uses it. Well... And she's on public transport. It's, it's it's not hard to get from place to place in a place like... Exactly, so why does she have a car? Street, so nobody needs a car. Right. Except when they do, when they're going out of town. Because of plot. Uh, sure. I think it was plot related. Anyway. Where Gary does she keep sits- it? Exactly, you never see parked <laughs> on the street and they don't have a garage. Garage. <laughs> you said garage. Gary sits off to the hotel just as Adam hangs a sign on the outside of the door warning the cleaning staff there's Do hole getting disturb. got in here. Yeah. But his hole getting is interrupted by Sarah's phone. She listens briefly to a message from Bethany where she says that she's spoken with Gary and that's enough for Sarah to hang up. 
Adam mocks Gary and takes it far too far for Sarah. He yeah. calls him cruel and thus the mood is ruined. Yeah. And she's not wrong. No. He does He does take that too far. No, oh, he's a builder with his... Blah, 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 blah. He'll be tickling your back with a paintbrush or something. Or oh, he's making a pasta, pasta bowl with a, with a cement mixer. And a detachable drill and mish money penny and... <laughs> because my Adam is Sean Connery. <laughs> Sarah is leaving the hotel and Adam is chasing after her. This seems to happen quite a lot. She feels bad enough about Gary without Adam making her feel worse, and this heated exchange is witnessed by the bellhop, rather rather, rather obviously. obviously, yeah. I was like, why why are we focusing like, this on this guy? What's what's with this guy? Gary has found his way to the hotel reception, he's looking for Sarah, but they tell him nothing. Then he finds the bellhop and shows him uh, Sarah's picture. <laughs> shows him Gary's picture. Do you recognise this guy? Yeah, it's you. No, sorry. Well, he's, Sarah's you know, he's at the desk looking for the hotel room under Sarah's name. But it wouldn't be under Sarah's name. It's under Adam's name. I don't think they're allowed to tell anyway. Probably not. But, you know, it's a TV show. This, this bellhop does some pretty unethical stuff as well. Oh, he does. And at no point does his heart does he take his heart up. From wah, that, wah. Doesn't ha- that doesn't happen. That should happen. Oh well. And steam comes out his ears. And his bow tie flips around. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so many opportunities missed, Corey. Hi. So many opportunities missed. <laughs> so the bellhop recognizes her but refuses to say he's not allowed. Uh-huh. This is an ethical code of the bellhops. Mm-hmm. Gary presses him and it comes out that Sarah wasn't there alone and was and it was with a tall man with dark crunchy hair. And, and a beard. And it looked like they were fighting. Gary gives the bellhop five and a half quid, which is a very odd way to express £5.50. Yeah. Adam and Sarah have made up and are back at the hotel. She apologises for overreacting. Now you mentioned something about my hole, she says, and they head up to the room just as Gary and the bellhop miss them. Gary decides to call Rick the chin. He says he knows he has Sarah and he'll kill him if he hurts her. Rick decides to play along and gives him some instructions. Mm-hmm. In the room, Sarah has decided that she doesn't want to be that person. She needs to come clean to Gary before she can really concentrate on Adam. She needs to tell him face to face. She holds, she owes, she owes him that at least. Then Rick the Chin has successfully gotten Gary the idiot into the middle of a wood, where he has no phone signal. No phone signal. Although later, he'll have a phone signal. Yeah, yeah. Here's here's Gary. Here's our Gary, ex-military. Yes. Going out in the woods alone to meet with a guy who almost killed him two times. Less than a month ago. Yes. Twice in two months. Walking through the woods, making loud noises, trump, 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 trump. He's actually. Only stopping. Only stopping when he gets to a person sized hole in the middle of the woods. (sighs) And he stops right there and looks around confusedly. Yeah, ex-military. I thought it was quite funny that uh, Gary's shouting sounds so much different from Gary just speaking and whispering. Sounds yeah. like a different person. We bet. So yeah, as you said, wandering through the forest, Gary happens upon a shallow grave just as Rick rushes Gary from behind. With a shovel. With a shovel. making but ready to hit him. Making substantial noise. Right. And the two of them struggle. Yeah. And Rick gains the upper hand and has the spade over Gary's throat. <laughs> Sarah's next, says Rick. You're done, Windass. 
and as Rick continues to suffocate Gary, Gary's hand reaches out to a distant rock. And that's how that episode finished. And you're sitting, and you're, yeah, okay. I think I see where this is going. Whoa. In an unbelievable direction, would you believe? Whoa, what happened to my voice? On Wednesday then, we open with a shot of the wood in the forest, and over the sound of birdsong, we can hear a struggle, but it's indistinct. And then all of a sudden, a loud shout. Like, ah, like somebody in pain. Oh, I didn't notice that. I did. Bethany and Sarah are at home, with Bethany explaining to Sarah how she knew that she wasn't in a meeting, that she was in a hotel in town, how she told Gary that they were all so worried about her. Sarah tries to call Gary, but he isn't picking up, so she hurries off and tells Bethany to sit tight. Everything will be explained in due course. And Bethany's a bit of a pain in the arse. Just a bit? You're being quite generous there. It won't last. She is such a pain. She just goes on and on and on about Gary. Uh, uh, uh. When was Gary ever a great guy in that relationship? Because because Bethany apparently has excellent taste in men. Sarah's back home and Bethany, the pain in the arse that she is, demands to know what's been going on. Then there's a noise at the door and they assume it's Rick. But no, it's Gary. And he's just got a wee bit of jam on him this time. And he walks into a house where he no longer lives. Bethany starts questioning Gary and Sarah, who's as, who's as annoyed as we are with all this, and asks her to fuck off for a bit, but no, Bethany's determined to get some answers here. Gary says no one needs to worry about Rick or his chin anymore. Ominous. Uh-oh. So, Gary loves Sarah... But she won't ever be able to trust Gary again. Oh, they do finally get rid of Bethany by giving her money for chips. Chips. <laughs> because she's 12. Yeah. Could you give us some private time, Bethany? No. Chip chips? Oh, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Gary refuses to accept that it's too late. Then Sarah admits to being at the hotel with Adam. She's sorry, but it's over between them. Big day for Gary. Kills Rick and gets dumped half an hour later. Just when you think your day can't get any worse. But, I mean... He had already been dumped. She had already told him it was over repeatedly and then kept saying they could just be friends. Yeah. This is not the first... T- this. How has it taken him this long to figure out it's over? Because she kept on throwing them little lifelines, or what he interpreted as being lifelines in the relationship. Yeah, like they could be mates. Yeah, when that was never going to be a no. thing. And she never even meant it, I don't think. No. So Gary doesn't t- take this too well. Uh, Sarah thinks that the writing was on the wall after the Nicola thing, and he's hurt her consistently since then, which is pretty much spot on. Yes. He insists things will get better based on absolutely nothing whatsoever. Adam is fun and makes her happy, and she hasn't been happy with Gary for a very long time. And this is where Gary forces her against the wall and grabs her by the arms, and she screams at him to get out, which he does. And then he goes back into Bethany's mystery car and drives off. Yeah. Now, you made a point here as we were chatting about the episodes. Oh, yeah. I understand that they want to be subtle and they want the descent of Gary into full-blown villain to be subtle. I get that. But I feel like if Gary is really going to put his hands on Sarah and you know, really do something that we've never seen Gary do before. Pushing her up against a wall and squeezing her arm a bit too hard is maybe not enough. Mm. That it would have been that the show should have shown more guts and made it worse. 
He could Not have... that I like watching somebody get beat up on TV, but... Well, I don't think she really needed to be beaten up, but he could have been a bit more shouty and... And aggressive. And aggressive, And yeah. maybe hit her once in the face, you know, like slapped her or something. Or just hurt her by accident or something. Or... Well, no, because I feel like <laughs> no, he kind of right. did hurt her by accident. I It needed to be braver. It needed to be like a real huge thing that he did to her. But, and it really wasn't. But Gary at the moment really is the accidental villain. Because he killed Rana by mistake. He didn't mean to kill Rana. And he's killed Rick the Chin in self-defense. Pretty much. Rick was going to kill him. Yeah. and If he didn't none stop of that, for a sandwich halfway through or whatever. None of that makes sense because we know that Rick is strong enough to overpower Gary. He's done it before. He has almost killed him. Two times in two months. Twice. Yeah. So for us to believe that Gary, after being bum-rushed from behind with a man with a shovel who's already overpowered him twice. Two times. <laughs> is able to pick up a, a rock, which isn't even that big, and... I don't know, smash it into Rick's face while... I catch him in the temple or something. I don't see it. I don't believe it. I think that's what we're meant to... I know. I know we're meant to believe that that happened. But either way, it is self-defense, isn't it? Yeah, it's self-defense. So there we go. Accidental villain Gary. And a show that has more than one villain... Yeah. ...kicking about... At any given time, that are right. doing it a little bit more deliberately yes. <laughs> than Gary is. People who are intentionally bad people. Right. Or sociopaths. Sociopaths, there it is. Yeah. I meant to mention that in High Street Corner, I forgot. Right, yeah, because Chris mentioned it too in his in his email. Right. Yeah. I meant sociopath, that sociopathicist last yeah. week. <laughs> it's probably best not to get those two mixed up too often. No. <laughs> Especially if you're on certain places on the internet. Anyway, so Gary drives back to the forest and he puts on a pair of surgical gloves from somewhere, from Bethany's glove compartment, maybe, and or, continues. You know, to dis- he picked them up at the cabin. All right, and continues to dispose of Rick and his chin. Or maybe, or maybe he got them at the pharmacy that Aggie works at. Then Sarah's at Adams and Bethany saw her go in and sticks her fucking nose in the business again oh. and buzzes his flat and he lets her in. She wants to know where her car has got to, like either one of them's got to know. And she twigs her because Sarah's like, I didn't she even know you had a car. Gary. She uh, gave it to Gary. So Gary is the one she should be asking. And Bethany twigs that there's something going on between the two of them and she's not pleased about it. Bethany continues to be way too invested in Sarah's poisonous relationship with Gary, who she yeah, claims yeah, yeah, is a yeah. good man who doesn't deserve this. Meanwhile, Ooh, who, who thinks this? Meanwhile, good man Gary is dragging Rick into the shallow grave and is stealing his car keys. It is taking Gary forever to take care of Rick's body. Forever. And he has Rick's keys and he hears the doot when he hits the fob. Now, I, I was watching this bit on my phone and I didn't really see exactly what was going on. I thought that Gary was returning Bethany's car to the street. Yeah. But you're of the opinion that he was returning Rick's car somewhere. Yeah, he was depositing Rick's car somewhere and that's why he was wearing gloves because he wouldn't have been wearing gloves inside Bethany's car because Bethany knows that he was in his, her car. Right. But if they find Rick's car with Gary's fingerprints on the steering wheel, that's going to look suspicious. Right. Although 
you know, skin and, and hair from Gary is probably going to end up in that car as well. So he'll get caught eventually. On Friday, Gary is sitting in the community garden, lost in a world of guilt, regret and remorse, or just spotting a bit of shit that's on the top of his shoe. <laughs> in comes Izzy with his kid, Jake, I think. Something's up with the school today, and she asks if Gary can look after his son. He says he has a lot going on at the moment, but then has to reluctantly agree when Izzy makes that face. Jake's wanting his ear pierced after watching that pirate movie over and over again. Maybe Gary can have a word with him about that. Let's hope that this isn't enough to send Gary flying into a fit of red rage. Jake is pretending to be a pirate outside the builder's yard. Dead men tell no tales, says Jake as he swashbuckles a piece of two by four. And Gary freaks out. Shakes him. Warns him never to say that again. And of course this is when Adam and Sarah walk by. Yep. And this makes Gary come to his senses. He apologises to Sarah for last night and hopes that things won't be awkward. Adam is curious as to why Gary is the one doing the apologising when Sarah was the one who dumped Gary. But Sarah manages to brush it off. They smooch and it is seen by Gail. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. This is uh, a night on Friday off. Sarah and Adam being seen smooching by people. Right, yeah. After trying to be so secretive. I mean, there are so many weeks where things happen on the street and nobody walks by to witness it. Right. <laughs> this time and there's then a there parade are other of people. Walking <laughs> it's down the just street. like everybody's on the street and everybody sees everything. At the factory slash community centre, Izzy is singing Gary's praises to Sarah. He's not all that bad, he has his faults and he wouldn't hurt a fly. And Sarah is all like, oh, do you fucking think so? Which Izzy either ignores or doesn't notice. Then in comes Gail. And then Sarah makes a good point about, or does she make it afterwards? The point about, yeah, well, if he was so great, why aren't you still with him? Then in comes Gail to give Sarah a hard time about Adam. She thinks this is moving too soon. But Sarah refuses to take relationship advice from Gail, who has had more hen parties than Canal Street. That's pretty funny. <laughs> and she's had more somethings than somethings. Yeah. I was reminded of a, a very dischargeable <laughs> phrase that we had, I th- remember growing up. More cock ends than weekends. Yikes. Yeah. And it's funny because Gail is not the last woman to have somebody say something about having <laughs> at least multiple engagements. Right. <laughs> by the end of the week yay feminism yeah Sarah sends her packing and in the packing plant but not like that <laughs> Gary and Jake are talking at Roy's Rolls about the evening Jake doesn't understand Gary's objection Gary wears a chain after all and Gary says it's different and when he feels for the chain around his neck <gasps> it's gone it isn't there panicking <laughs> Gary rushes out leaving Jake under the charge of a confused Shona and he automatically <laughs> He's been many places. He's been many places. Many places. Has he been many places? He's been many places. Too many places. He's been many places this week. But he assumes it's at the most difficult place to get back to and find. What? I would have just liked a wee scene with that bellhop standing, just throwing the chain up and down. Uh, He's the one. He stole it. Wise guy, eh? (laughs) What's it worth to you? So Gary's returned to the scene of the crime because that's obviously where his chain is. And oh, he's got a spade, although it looks like he might be having prob- problems remembering where the scene is. But then he's found it because it's all the fresh earth and he starts digging with his bare hands. Gary hasn't found his chain and he's covered in muck when a couple with a dog happen to go by. Right, in the middle of the woods where uh-huh. it's been so quiet and everything, 
that somebody can dig a shallow grave and bum rush somebody with a shovel and nobody sees it. But now somebody's hiking through the woods. Yep. So there's this man and woman and their dog, and Gary pretends that he's lost his sausage dog, and maybe he, the dog's buried himself in this obvious shallow grave that I'm standing on. Right. Do you think it's wise to say to a strange couple in the woods that you're looking for your sausage dog? Whose name is Frank. The couple promise to keep an eye for Gary's imaginary dog Frank. and off the toddle. And, and, and the man thinks that it's quite charming that he has a sausage dog named Frank yep. in further. Shona phones Gary because he's got reception in the forest now. He was now forced to abandon the site and get back to his son. Then Adam, who doesn't work at the community centre slash factory, turns up at the community centre slash factory looking for a smooch with Sarah. As he sees this and is astounded, she makes this her business because of Jake. Gary was good to Sarah, says Izzy, who also Ugh. thinks that Sarah should let the sheets go cold first before getting bedded by Adam. Ugh. Then Bethany is drawing... They didn't have sheets. They were sleeping on Hilo. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> then at the bistro, Bethany is drawing Adam daggers while he's smarmy and aloof on the phone to one of his clients or his friends or something. BP, he shouts at her, waving his empty glass. What's wrong with this picture, he says. Then Bethany wonders who the hell he thinks he is, but Michelle correctly reminds her that she's a server and he's a customer and she should get back to work. Yeah, well, that's because Michelle has other things on her mind. Yes, which we will get to. Yes, we will. Then it says that Roy rolls and Shauna talks, and Shauna talks about how great a day that she had with Jake. He's even drawn a little picture and everything. Izzy is furious to learn that Gary abandoned his son in a cafe all day. Right, but, but why do people get offended when people leave their kids with Shona? Like Shona's a bad person. Well, she's working. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because initially. Shona's like, you can't leave your kid here with me. Right. But at the end of the day, she's all happy. Yeah, she has a blast. shining light, yeah. Then as he finds Gary with his head up against the wall in the street, wondering where Jake is, he's playing with Joseph, apparently. Gary needs to get away. He's got his mum's spare room if he needs it. And Izzy thinks this is all about Sarah, but Gary says that he's a mess and toxic and everything he touches turns to shit. She's and he had- has nothing left on the street. There's nothing left on the street for him. No. Ouch. <laughs> She's had to put up with a lot too, says Izzy, watching him get off with lots of other women, but she managed to do it. Lots of other women. And she managed to do it for Jake. They owe him, she says, and and she goes on to say that he'll be going nowhere. He has a family here who love him. And that's as far as we get with that story this week. So you think Gary's going to move in with Izzy? Well, that's where he is now, right? Is it? Yeah, because Izzy said to him uh, today that uh, he got in late and left early. Oh, okay. So she's put him up. I was wondering where he'd been. Wherever she stays. She's got her own little place. It's got to be, you know, on the street somewhere. So Gary's descent into villainy. It's so lame. (laughs) It still doesn't make any sense to me that Rick is the one who's dead. It makes no sense. I keep on thinking I'm going to wake up and Gary's not the villain. (laughs) (laughs) and also you know as we said before we found out who the quote-unquote new villain was going to be that it just it seems unimaginative of the show to make yet another builder the villain right so once we get rid of gary is ed going to be the villain after that that's gonna be jan or seb 
Maybe Sim will be the... We've got lots of builders on this. Maybe that's street. why it's always a builder. It's because you're either there are making... so many builders. You're either making kebabs or you're building houses. Right. People either work in restaurants or they're builders or they're lawyers or they're sewing knickers. It's not that I don't think that, that Gary is unbelievable as a villain. I think he does a kind of moody kind of stare and, and glare fairly well. I, I could believe him as being the bad guy. But this version of him being the bad guy with all you the stuff that's going haircut. on. would need a new haircut. I just don't think it's, <laughs> I just don't think it's so working. Goofy. Sarah seems to go for the guys with goofy hair. I don't think uh, Gary's would be quite as crunchy. No, but it's still goofy and lopsided. and. It'd be roughly at the back, I think. It'd be soft. Yeah. yeah. A bit stubbly, maybe. Yeah. Your whole head is soft. Your your hands would be, I think, cleaner coming out of that. You wouldn't need to wash your hands prior to... I don't know. It looks kind of slimy. He looks like back At the too. back? Maybe on the top, but, but in the back. Yeah. I, I think you'd be fine. I don't not know. That, I don't, not I don't that fantasize about... I don't spend <laughs> that much time thinking often. about running my hands through Gary's hair. Let's talk about Roy's ring then. <laughs> on Monday... Brian's embargo on Roy's Rolls hasn't even lasted 24 hours as he and Cathy are in for coffee. He'd rather wait to be served by Shona, thank you very much, but Cathy tells him to stop being such an immature prick and go speak to Roy. When he doesn't do it, Cathy goes to make the piece. She tells Roy that one of them has to make the first move, but Roy's not really keen on being the person to do that, and it remains at stalemate. Yeah, and he also says, I'll let Shona get it. (laughs) Yeah. Then Wayne appears at Roy's Rolls. He's been wrestling with himself... But he's a thorough and curious man. He's been looking into uh, Roy's mother's ring. Roy, once more, doesn't want to discuss this and tells and Wayne... And loses his shit. Tells Wayne to either buy something or fuck off. So Wayne fucks off. What Wa- the hell, Roy? Wayne meets Brian at the Rovers. It's an antisocial visit, unfortunately. He's been to see Roy. He's, Roy is all discombobulated and is talking to pots and pans at Roy's rolls. So yeah. Shona sends him off for a walk to clear his head and then tells Cathy about Wayne being back, and Roy basically telling him to sling his hook. Meanwhile, Brian and Wayne are chatting. Brian reveals that Roy has been weird ever since he got back from Portsmouth, and at the mention of Portsmouth, Wayne realises that Roy has found out. But this isn't Wayne's secret to tell. And of course, Roy, who's on his walk, comes in just in time to overhear this. He reveals that his mother had an affair. There. Choking happy it. now? Choking it, he says. And he would thank Wayne to leave his family history where it belongs, in the past. So Wayne and Brian are at the kebab shop arguing in front of Cathy about the best course of action here. Brian thinks that they should drop it, but Wayne doesn't think Roy will be able to let it go and will become obsessive about it. Cathy says they're both right and they need to wait for Roy to figure out the way forward on his own. Well done, Cathy. Well done. Voice of reason, Cathy. Always. Then Wayne and Brian turn up at Roy's Rolls to apologise and hope they're back on speaking terms. All the paperwork has been stored in Brian's loft of sorts and will remain there. Wayne was worried that they would lose touch and is using this ring as an excuse and is sorry and they abruptly leave Roy sucking a thoughtful tooth. Now Cathy's at Roy's Rolls want to know if Roy wants to talk. Cathy says he and his mum were both funny fish and suspects this wild goose chase was deliberately set up by his mum which let her off the hook and proved that she knew her son. And again, this seems to give Roy something to think about. Then Wayne is about to leave and is saying cheerio to Brian and Roy rushes out and apologises for his early behaviour. He wants to get back on this case and asks for the paperwork to be retrieved from Brian's loft of sorts. 
On Wednesday at the cabin, it transpires that Brian's loft of sorts is actually a shelf in the back room. Wayne has left a message with a woman who gives him a call back. Then Wayne and Brian turn up at Roy's Rolls with a wee woman called Alice Parrott. Fresh, fresh off the, uh, the set of Poltergeist 3. Her dad, Raymond Parrott, was stationed in Egypt during Suez. Raymond had an affair with Sylvia and Roy invites them all upstairs to talk this through. Upstairs we finally get to see Raymond Parrott, the mysterious RP, who looks a lot like the wee cheeky chappy that's on the Pringles tubes, the man who Roy's <laughs> mum had an affair with. Roy had found all this out from one of Raymond's friends, which apparently explains why he didn't find Alice himself. She's brought lots of love letters between the two of them, and her family had made their peace with the whole matter. The affair only lasted six months, but the correspondence suggests it went on for years, until until Roy was about ten and his dad left. Right, so there was an actual affair and then more of an emotional affair. Right. Later, Roy tells Wayne that he's having problems reading the letters. It's unusual for him to see that his mother was capable of loving anyone when she never demonstrated this to him. It's a side of her that he never knew. That's really sad. Yeah. And Roy continues in this vein with with Brian and Wayne. His, oh, another unfortunate rhyme. His mum was devastated when Raymond called off the relationship. Wayne thinks this might explain Sylvia closing her emotions down. Roy prefers to think that it proves his mother was capable of love. She just didn't love Roy. Aww. And then there's a hugely touching scene with Wayne and Roy. Roy's apologising for his melancholy and Wayne has found an old album of uh, the African Plains that Roy and Haley gave him for his first Christmas. He read it over and over again and he drops a hint that his mum's fella was abusive to him. It was the best present he'd ever received and Roy and Haley showed him nothing but compassion and warmth. Well, we knew that. And they saved his life. Roy thanks him for everything and makes Wayne promise to keep in touch. And Wayne leaves, and Roy puts the old ring away in a box that he puts away in the sideboard, and he switches off the room light. Yeah, because when Wayne had a different face and was significantly younger, he ran away back to Haley and Roy because her, because his uh, mum's fella was abusive to him right. and everything. And then Haley tried to kidnap him because that's what happens on this show is that <laughs> children get kidnapped all the time. But it's fine. It's fine. Everything will be fine. In this case, it, it really was, was fine. fine. I hope that this is not the last we see of young Wayne. No. I want to see the real Adam Barlow. Yes. <laughs> More often. <laughs> it's a, he's a good character. It's a good actor. I just, yes. More Wayne, please. He has been an absolute revelation and i think for uh, for the first couple of episodes when they came in uh-huh. when it looked like he was oh is he see perhaps a little bit dodgy here is he going to be right. a, a bad character is he going mm. to be trying to pull one over on roy or that right but for him to turn out to be essentially a mini version of roy yes i like that has just been a master stroke right and they've got the perfect guy to play him absolutely He's so good yes Oh, I'm going to miss him if that's that done. I hope it's I not. I really hope that he comes back. Bring Wayne back. But then, you know... Hashtag bring Wayne back. Uh, it needs to he be He has for, to be. He has to come back for... Dum-dum. The report. Well, yes. Dum-dum. He has to come back for story reasons. There has to be a reason to bring him back. You, you, you just can't be the... there and, and hanging about. Because presumably he's got his life elsewhere at the moment so yeah but he still has to live fairly close yes 
Yeah, somewhere in the city, I would have thought. The, yeah. Well, he's the building inspector for that part of the of Manchester, I would imagine. But what a beautiful way to bring that part of the storyline mm-hmm. to a close. Because on Friday, it kind of changes tact a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, Bessie Street School is closed because someone tried to flush their homework down the toilet and it blocked the whole system. Well, Brian secretly thinks that it was Ruby. Ruby <laughs> is looking forward to a day with Evelyn in the corner shop, which Evelyn reckons is better than the shit she'd learn at school, much to Brian's chagrin. Right. Roy is making changes at Roy's roles in light of the discoveries surrounding his mother. New menu and smoothies. Smoothies is just a fancy name for juice, says Evelyn. She thinks he has to think better than fruit-shaped like a man's family jewels. I kind of missed half of what they were talking about Right, because it's an avocado smoothie. And right. the word avocado means fruit testicles or something. Right. The, the word, yeah. Because avocados look like testicles. Not yours. <laughs> Sadly not. <laughs> Beth is at the corner shop. Your testicles be- are not green and bumpy. Thank God. Oh, okay. Sure. <laughs> Beth is at the corner shop debating with Bertie which tinned atrocity is for dinner. Gav is now blushing. Is it? Is it sausages and beans? God. Or is it full English? Oh, that's even worse. Ruby asks if Beth is intending on buying something. That was brilliant. And she's wearing a little mini pity. It's so cute. <laughs> oh! And then Evelyn appears out of nowhere, says well done, and gives a Ruby a little reward for being <laughs> horrible to customers. <laughs> Later at Roy's Rolls, Shona reveals to Brian that according to David, it was that wanker Phil who was flushing his coursework down the toilet and that he's probably going to end up with a police record about this. Right. This must make you very happy, Brian. And Brian says, well, Sean Frouda isn't really my cup of tea, but he has this total smile on his Smirk face. Smirk on his face, <laughs> yes. Which is lovely. Roy has drawn up a new rota. He's announcing that he's off to spread his mother's ashes and then almost to visit Carla. So Roy's going out for it a bit. Again. Right. And later on the street we see Roy and he's about to head off in his woody. He's still, he's still, <laughs> but not that way. But not that way. He still has his pee plates in that car. Really? Yeah. He's been driving that thing forever. He's the one guy that does have a car in the show. Right. But he's still got his pee plates on it. Yeah. Pee plates are for uh, drivers who've just passed their test. Ah. I don't think you have to have those plates, but no. they suggest that you do so other drivers can, are aware that oh, you might do something a little bit right. crazy here. Yeah. He explains to Evelyn uh, that he's going and what he's going to do, and she donates some of Dave's flowers. Uh, she advises him to stand upwind when she, when he's disposing of the ashes. Yes. Tyrone, who we haven't seen in ages, comes out of the cabin and sees Evelyn and Roy being friendly towards each other. And he smiles in a similar way to the way that the actor Sam Snyder's did in his portrayal of Tom Sawyer in the opening credits of the 1979 classic Huckleberry Finn and His Friends. Really? <laughs> Time looking back more on days that were slower. <laughs> When women came easy and neighbours were friends, paddle it back to a ship on the river, some kind of venture in some pirate's den. Do you, do you get the adventures of Tom Sawyer over here? I think it was American, possibly Canadian. It, yeah. I, I, it's, it's just that I remember we had a conversation about that show in some other context at some point, and now I can't remember what it was. Yes, this is not the first time I've sang that song to you. That's correct. <laughs> and yet, here I am still. <laughs> <laughs> Tyrone and Evelyn are eating lentils at speed, Dal. He thinks that she's pining for Roy. 
uh, which she obviously denies. Yeah. And then describes Roy's mum in the same terms that most people would describe her. Yes. Tyrone continues to wind her up. Which gives them both pause. To put him in his place. And that's how we finish that storyline this week. Yes, because he's, he, she says, well, if I was, then what would happen? And he says things like, well, he'd stop eating and you'd be sad and you'd be doing this and you'd be doing that. And she says, oh, kind of like all the stuff that you're not doing for Fizz. And that shuts him up. Yeah, well done, Evelyn. But this is the first thing that shows kind of address the fact that Something that Something. I have been saying mm-hmm. for quite some time now that yep. Evelyn and Roy are uh, are slowly crawling towards maybe having a relationship, which is which would be lovely. I would like that. They're mismatched. Well, as as they point out, Evelyn's kind of like Roy's mum. Yeah, oh. in personality, mm-hmm. and they do say that you you tend to gravitate towards people that are kind of like your parents oh let's move the fuck on from that (laughs) shall we i'm taller than your mum just about Mm. our penultimate storyline for tonight oh we've been going pretty long tonight lots of it's getting cut out (sighs) it's about the baileys testicles on monday i'm gonna keep that stuff in on monday Oddly, at number three, the first order of business isn't filling in the hole in the wall that Michael hammered in last week. They're working on something else instead. Aggie orders Ed to get it fixed pronto, and Ken from his front room shouts his approval at this plan. Aggie, once again, is apologetic. Ed still hasn't fixed the hole and has to put up a plastic sheet. Ken, for some reason, has chosen to have a bath, and with the front room as it is, has no problem wandering through when his bathrobe as he chats to Claudia on the phone. And his bathrobe is open. Yeah, the sheet falls from the wall as the bathrobe opens and Aggie gets a right eyeful of Ken's junk. Oh, no, no, no. He's wearing boxers. I know. We obviously don't see Ken's penis. No, but we see his his chest. So Claudia meets Ken in the rovers. She thinks that Ken has been weak with her new neighbours and insists that she goes round to the house to tidy up for him. He gives her the keys and asks her to keep things civil. But Claudia isn't making friends for the Baileys and doesn't look like she's interested in doing so. No. Instead, she's feeding rubble through the hole in the wall and will continue to do so every hour until the damage is repaired. She wants to hear building work, she says, and Aggie looks like she'll make Claudia live to regret that. Correct. Aggie's organising the troops with noisy power tools and loud Mexican football commentary on the loop. Michael suggests that nothing is as loud as their sister waiting to use the bathroom in the morning. She's called Dee Dee, and apparently she has a jet-set life. So I wonder when we're going to meet her. Hmm. Aggie fires them all up. Let's get this show on the road. Buckle up, buckaroo. <laughs> then at number one, Ken is suddenly quite placid about the noise while Claudia's furious. The hole in the wall still hasn't been fixed and Ken is off to the pub to organise his photography night class up at the And cafe Amy later. refuses to go home to do her homework because she thinks that she can sue them. Oh, yes. For, for her getting bad grades because mm-hmm. of the noise. Claudia Amy is becoming more and more Tracy. Claudia's got other older. plans. Plans that require and listen to Amy and some equipment. At number three, they continue to make pointless noise, and when they stop for a break, number one is in silence, which Aggie which Aggie takes as a victory. But then Claudia and Amy start killing violins with <laughs> cotton wool stuffed in their ears. <laughs> it was quite amusing, but it was pretty stupid. Ah uh, Yes, it was very stupid. 
And as, as many people have pointed out, this hole in the wall seems a bit unfeasible. Oh, it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. It can't exist. No. So anyway, <laughs> on Wednesday, or do you want to explain why it can't exist? Because their stairwell goes between the houses on, right. on either side. So yeah. there'd be space between that and... And that's kind of how Ken kind of has that little nook in his front room is because nook, of the nook. stairwell. Right. So what the hell is going on here? It's not quite the Overlook Hotel from The Shining. No. But it's yeah, close. It's close. There's a very interesting documentary that people should look at if they're interested in learning more about the Overlook Hotel and The Shining and how... You mean room 227 or... No, yeah. no, no. Yeah, I think it was that. How, how the corridors can't possibly have Exist. windows in them because right. they have other things going around them. It's, right. It's there to disorient, disorientate you. Yes. That and the carpets. Yeah. Whoa. Which reminds us of the hotel we went to in New Hampshire <laughs> that Christmas. Correct. On Wednesday then, the battle between number one and number three continues. The power tools are the clear winner, but Aggie decides to play and sing Chopsticks just to add to the cacophony. I never knew that the lyrics to Chopsticks were Chop, 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 Stick, 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 Chop, or whatever. It's not, but I've I've never heard anybody sing Chop, 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 Stick, 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 Chop, 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 Stick, 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 Stick. I've never heard that before. No. So it's kind of funny. Which is made up for on Wednesday when Aggie is doing it pretty much for half an hour. Yes. Claudia goes through Ken's record collection looking for death metal. Yeah, because Ken has death metal. Right. But settles on... Who does Claudia think she's having sexual relationships with? Keith Richards. Or some guy from Slayer. (laughs) Oh. But settles on the 1812 Overture. And, and that was Amy's suggestion. She's like, what about the one with the cannons? Right. And Claudia looks at her like a velociraptor and says, clever girl. <laughs> Amy does hunt in packs. <laughs> Ken and Ed get home at the same time and they open their front doors at the same time and they hear noise coming from both their houses at the same time. They say pub to each other at the same time. Well, pub suggests Ed. Fucking right, says Ken. Yes. And off they, go, off to the they pub. go to the pub. And in the pub, they're getting on really well. Yes. Uh, when Aggie and Claudia catch them. Ed uh, fraternising with the enemy, somebody says. Ed promises to fix the wall tomorrow. And the women realise that they, they like each other too, and they get a drink. Peace in their time. And later, they're all sat round the table, getting on famously, until they start picking at the scab of the hole in the wall. And then Ed and Ken separate Claudia from Aggie and call it a night. Ken speculating that the Baileys are going to be fantastic neighbours. Yes. Then that story kind of takes a little turn. It finishes and goes in another direction, but it's still about the Baileys. A Friday at Roy's Rolls, Tim and Jack are cock-a-hoop to spot Weddy County youth sensation James Bailey sitting at table with an empty cup of tea. Steve announces that he and James are mates, which nobody believes. Jack asks if James will sign his ball, which James agrees to do. Tim, Steve and Kev all start bombarding James with questions until Shona comes to James's rescue with an avocado on toast to take away. Mm-hmm. Later, the boys are having a kick about when they bump into James and Michael. Michael seems disappointed that James didn't charge to sign that ball for Jack earlier. And James leaves for training, which allows Michael to announce to the guys that he's James's brother and agent. So if you want anything, you speak to me. Everyone is ready to head through to Weddy County now because uh, Michael has arranged a little tour for them. They jump in the cab and Michael gets some cash out of Tim and Steve for arranging this. Or he doesn't get the cash up front, but he says he expects some payment. Right. Grease my palm sort of thing. Yeah. And the boys are back from a wonderful day at Weather County. 
they've got access all area passes and everything. And Tim looks like he's coming his pants more than once. <laughs> yes, he does. Jack is made up as well and even forgotten to limp. Then James sees money exchange hands and James calls Michael out for taking money from a one-legged kid in front of a vicar and fires him as his agent. Right, yeah, because Michael kind of hits Billy with his card door. Right. Oops, sorry, vicar. Yep. So just a nothing wee part of the story, but it was quite good fun. Yeah, it was cute. Uh, Continuing to like the Baileys, I thought that was another good week. It was good stuff. Correct. And I think the... It looks like the um, the rivalry between them and the Barlows has come to a kind of agreement. Yay. Which is good. I don't want to see that dragging on for weeks and weeks. No, because that would be horrible. Yep. Our final storyline for tonight. Robert and Michelle. Oh. <laughs> I remember when I thought Robert was attractive. Uh, I do. I remember you mentioned it more yeah. than once. Yeah. I'm, I, I regret that now. Well, he may or may not be attractive. That depends on your taste. But his character has some uh, fatal flaws, I think. And is also a dumbass. Mm. Oh, yeah. If you're going to lie so much, you might as well be good at it. He's not very bright at all. On Monday, Michelle is moaning to Ryan over breakfast. She had trouble sleeping because she was busy going through all the things that she and Robert have been through, like his cancer and Rory again. But she's sure that they love each other and this time it'll be for keeps. The old Irish Tina's back. She's yelling at Tyler in the house. There'll be jam sandwiches for breakfast, lunch and dinner, she says. And Tyler suspects that his mother is menstruating, but then realises that Rob- Robert's dumped her. Ugh. And he's really cruel about it. He's mm-hmm. like, what did you do this time? And it's like, I thought Tyler had turned over a new leaf, but it turns out I just didn't really hear him talk. <laughs> yes, we haven't seen him, that's why. Oh. Irish Tina's voggling stuff, and she's in tears. I don't know what she was voggling. Did you see? Abortion clinics. Oh, was it? Yeah. When Tyler comes home with some messages, and when Tyler, when Irish Tina refuses a drink, Tyler quickly deduces that she's up the duff. She allows him to jump to the conclusion that Robert knew about this, and that's why he left her, and he promises to enact his revenge. Later, while chatting about tomorrow's breakfast, Ryan lets it slip that Michelle is feeling a little insecure to Robert, and Robert promises that he won't let anything ruin anything ever again. Then Johnny and Jenny arrive at the bistro at Robert's behest. Would everyone be interested in an engagement party here tonight? He's going to close the bistro early. That'll be the second time in two days that that's been closed early. Why do they keep doing this? <laughs> this is not a way to run a business. And he's going to propose to Michelle later. And then everyone should pop out from hiding and shout surprise. Ali doesn't seem to be buying this and makes a couple of potentially snarky comments. Then Robert gets a call from Michelle. She's on her way home early. He instructs everyone to get ready and he'll go outside to stall her. But outside, Tyler is waiting, and he punches Robert right in the face. Yay! Robert says it didn't work out uh, with Irish Tina, and Tyler informs Robert that Irish Tina is officially a knocked up. Yeah. And, and Robert makes a dumb face. Yep. Oh? Oh! <laughs> On Wednesday, this is the same day. Because I think Monday and Wednesday are supposed to have happened in the same days. Right. Robert is tussling with Tyler. And Robert still hasn't seemed to reveal that he knew nothing about the baby when Michelle arrives in the bistro van and Tyler correctly assumes that he doesn't want her finding out. So Tyler knows about Michelle. Yeah, because Tyler used to work for them, remember? But Irish Tina doesn't. Well, 
she knows that Michelle exists. But she doesn't know that the two of them are back together. Right. But Tyler's worked this out. Well, Ty- yeah, Tyler works it out Works it out when uh, Robert sees Michelle pulling up and, like, quickly shoves Tyler into, like, an, an alley. Yeah. He's like, oh, so okay, knows... you don't want her to find out. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's only a matter of time before Irish Tina finds this out. Yeah, well, she kind of finds out this week. No. Kinda. No. Daniel sees that Michelle is back and now all the surprise party guests don't know what to do because Robert's not there. Do they still shout surprise? Jenny thinks it's obviously a surprise party. Brian tries to hide the cake by eating it. And in comes Michelle. <laughs> he eats the letters off of it. Yes. Well, he eats some of the letters off of it. Yes, it changes uh, Will You Marry Me to Willie. Yes. Why does that cake say Willie? <laughs> In comes Michelle, who's instantly suspicious. She sees Ryan's shoes, and everyone shouts surprise. Okay, says Michelle. What's the surprise? That's for, that's not for us to say, says Ginny. That's right, says Johnny, who's on the toilet. <laughs> Is that the surprise? It's like, hold on, I'm working on it. <laughs> Oh, so long as there's poop jokes in the world. <laughs> Lowest common denominator, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Tyler, meanwhile, has rather correctly drawn comparisons to the hassle he got from his mum about knocking up Amy. Correct. He doesn't need this, and he flounces off. Robert, who's got a bit of jam on his lip, tries to stop him, but it's no good. Back in the bistro, Michelle is still keen to know what the fuck is going on. It's a surprise party for Michelle being so brilliant, says Ryan. Right, yeah. For being the best mum ever. <laughs> Michelle opens a box and the happy engagement balloon pops out. What the actual? asks Michelle. Yeah, it's instead of instead of like freaking out about the cake, maybe they should have hidden that box. <laughs> or maybe everybody go into the kitchen and just go out the back way yep. and take the cake with you and set it on the counter or something. Why are none of these people smart? <laughs> Robert finally gets back to the bistro. Michelle announces her answer is yes, and then notices a jam that's on his lip. What's happened? Robert claims that he was mugged. Someone tried to steal his phone. He always goes for the most obvious, doesn't he? <sighs> he gave chase, but he wants to drop it because he's engaged now. Huzzah! He'll report it to the police tomorrow, he says. In the meantime, he gets down on one knee and proposes, and she says yes. And it's champers all round. Right, because he was going to... Propose with the cake, but now he can't because it's Willie. <laughs> yeah, the way that he would have to propose with that cake now is by pulling out his Willie. Yeah, it's probably it'd have like a engagement ring on it or something. It's probably not, the not appropriate. <laughs> you have to say tip. Ali is getting ready to leave the party, and before he does, he checks that Robert's got gotten over all his baby fever stuff. Robert insists that he has. Then Sinead comes in with Betty the baby to make Robert feel bad. Everyone leaves, which allows Robert to phone Irish Tina, but of course she doesn't answer, and he leaves a message. Then Irish Tina turns up at the bistro and admits to him that she's pregnant. She's not lying, but she's not going to keep it. Robert tells her don't. And don't what, she asks. Robert wants her to think about what she's doing. It's his baby too. And Irish Tina says nothing and storms away. And Michelle sees this, and Robert says that she was there looking for work. And Michelle falls for it and says that she'll see him back home. I... Th- it's it's like Michelle is being dumb on purpose. She's willfully She's ignoring willfully things. just yep. accepting that this is the truth. So, on Friday then, 
Whispering Robert is in the bistro kitchen on the phone to Irish Tina, obviously leaving a message for her because she's probably lost her phone or left it on the windowsill somewhere or accidentally mailed it to Nick the Chin. <laughs> it seems like Michelle overhears this and announces confession time, but it's her who wants to confess. She's booked some time with Billy to talk weddings uh, today at lunchtime, which Robert thinks, wait a minute, that's our busiest time. We can't possibly be in a meeting at that point for the third day in the row. <laughs> on the Suddenly conscious that he's a restaurant owner. Michelle wonders that he's bottling things up again, but he insists not. Later, Robert gets a call from Irish Tina, but it's Tyler, and he tells Robert to stop calling her. She thinks she's having a miscarriage. Robert rushes out past Michelle and uh, claims that one of the young offenders needs his urgent assistance. Well, it'll need to wait because Michelle is a snitch, and she's called the cops, and they're actually sitting in the bistro, and Robert hasn't noticed. What? The actual? (laughs) There's nobody else in the restaurant apart from the cops. I mean, it's just... Robert gives a very vague description of two tall men dressed in black and then rushes off to see Chloe, he says, who has missed her train for a job interview and is falling to pieces with worry. And this is his fatal mistake. He was very specific and he gave her information that she can easily check. So Robert turns up to see Irish Tina who confirms that she is indeed miscarrying. This isn't her first miscarriage rodeo. Robert tells her that she needs to go to hospital and she reluctantly agrees. And then Robert's phone goes. It's Michelle. He tells her he'll be as quick as he can, and meanwhile, Billy turns up at the bistro. Billy's back, y'all. Yay! And he asks if Michelle has thought of a date so they can check the church diary. He asks if they, why they want a church wedding now. Michelle doesn't know, but Robert has a purpose these days working with them kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Michelle, plus, plus she wants to get on the good side of God so she doesn't get shot on her wedding day again. Right. Michelle explains about Chloe. And then Billy says, oh yeah, I know about her. She went to trial. She's back inside. She got done for burglary. And so the trap is triggered. In the waiting room, Tyler reveals that Irish Tina has had a few miscarriages and it sounds like she's had a stillbirth too. This is very cheery stuff. Poor Irish Tina. Then Billy directs Michelle to a website where she can apparently make any adjustments that she wants to her service. Billy realises that this must be like teaching your granny to suck eggs. How many weddings has Michelle planned in the past, he asks. Oofed. Too many to count, says Michelle. Random fact of the week. Scott at Merritart reckons it's about four. There'll be another random fact of the week next week. Wow. So Billy would say that about me as well. That you're a wedding planner. Because you've planned four weddings. Three of which were your own. Oh, no. I thought I thought he was referring to Michelle planning her own weddings. Four no. of her own weddings. No. Was she, she an actual she, wedding planner? She was a wedding planner. She just very Never rarely planned any, any weddings. No, not that we're aware of. No, or certainly not that Scott's aware of. Mm. A conservative four, he thinks. Michelle brings the conversation back round to Chloe, who apparently was also done for using a phone in court. Chloe seemed all right, if I remember. Yeah. Wasn't she okay? Anyway. Well, you know, people can drop off the wagon at any time. Turns out it's not a miscarriage. It's spotting. Yeah, she's just spotting a little bit. They don't think it's... But she needs a scan and Robert promises to wait. In fact, he agrees to accompany her. So she's getting a scan It looks like there's no baby. But then there's a baby. And it has a heartbeat and everything. Whew. Looks as expected, says the technician. And Robert tells her that he's not playing at this. And he tells her that he thinks of them as a family. But when she moves in for a smooch, he pulls away. What the actual fuck is Robert doing here? And then there's a red-eyed pigeon. <laughs> Michelle's about to angrily text Robert but settles on a single question mark 
back at Irish Tina's, Robert admits that he thought he accepted never being a dad until he saw the scan. He wants this baby. She says that they come as a package, though. She thinks Robert's gone off her, and he says that after Michelle, he can't love again. He can't afford to split up again. He promises yeah, to be there. See, so he's, he's, he's lying to her. He's, he's kind of admitting that Michelle is the love of his life and that she's the only one that matters. But he's not saying that... No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that I got hurt so badly by Michelle I can't let myself get hurt again. Right, but, what but he's, not he's saying the is, one I love Michelle broke up so with much. her. What he's not saying is I love Michelle so much that I'm going back with Michelle, thank you very much. He's not telling her that. He's mm. not telling her that at all. But he promises to be there 100% for the baby and that's what Tyler's dad said. He promises that he's not like that. He's exactly like that. No, but I mean, he has a business in town. He's not going to run off is, is his point and everything. So he'll be there financially, but he can't be there passionately. He's lying to two women simultaneously and creating a situation that can never be successful. Yeah. yeah and he is that guy. And it's, and it's going to come to a head messily. He asks if being a good dad is enough for her, and she wonders if it's better than having no dad. So Robert gets back to the bistro and walks into the kitchen without saying a word. Michelle storms after him. Hello helps, she says, and reveals that she knows that Chloe is back in Young Offenders, so where the hell has he been? Thinking on his feet, Robert tells her that it's 1999 again and he was at a travel agent trying to book a honeymoon. It was meant to be a surprise. And it was meant to be special. Michelle wants to know how you can book a honeymoon without a date. And Robert says, yeah, that's what the travel agent said. Michelle, who had moments earlier had called uh, Robert a terrible liar, is happy to go along with this. It's just so stupid. It, it makes <clears throat> no sense that she would accept this. He, he's the guiltiest looking man on the planet for Seriously. about 20 seconds before he starts going on about travel agents and all that guff. Oi. So during the prep for a 50th birthday party, Michelle wants to publicise the honeymoon on Insta, whatchamacallit. Not keen on the idea, Robert thinks it's meant to be a surprise. In fact, he would prefer a secret wedding planned under the pretense that it's his 50th birthday, which isn't due for another two years. If and, anyone, and their family already knows that they're engaged. And his family know that he's not 50 this year. Yeah. If anyone can arrange this, it's Michelle who is now flattered into thinking this is a brilliant idea. Michelle goes off to greet the party at the entrance while Robert gets a text from Irish Tina with a photo of the scan. Hiya, Daddy, she writes. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yeah, this is going to end horribly. Before the month of July is out, I would imagine this is going to explode into all manner of a shitstorm. Mess, 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 mess. And it's no more than Robert deserves. And I honestly, there was a second there when he got back and she, you know, I thought he was actually going to come clean and say, look, I'm sorry, I was in a relationship with somebody else while we were broken up and it's perfectly acceptable for me to be in a relationship with somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I got that person pregnant, so I was at the scan. Do you think he's embarrassed by Irish Tina? No, I don't think that's at all. Because I don't get I don't get that sense. Although he was like sly and uh, sneaking about and stuff. Right, because nobody knew he was in a relationship with Irish Tina. No, but it seemed to be going well until Michelle asked yeah. for him back. Right, and like all the time. Well, where have you been? 
oh, I was uh, with Young Offenders or, you know, he was like every time he would go to visit Irish Tina and Tyler, he would say that he right. was somewhere else. And it's like, I guess I can kind of understand why he wouldn't want to tell Michelle that he'd moved on. But Michelle had moved on. Or she had, she had seemed to move on with Michael the previous week. Right. That, that he seemed okay about. Yeah. Until he wasn't. I don't know what he wants. Well, I don't think he want, knows what he wants either. But it's going to end up with nothing. Yeah. And then he'll leave the show. And <laughs> then he'll leave. To be in pantomime. Right. I don't know. It's just it's a character who has just lied throughout. Never learns his lesson. He's the grey-haired Jude. Right. I'm Is he a better that, liar than Jude? I'm amazed that he hasn't become a marine biologist either. <laughs> right. Well, see, Jude lies for no reason. Jude lies just to make himself look more important and interesting. Right. Whereas Robert lies to hide stuff. And his, But his first instinct seems to be to lie about stuff. Right. His first instinct doesn't to tell the truth. What day of the week is it? Uh, Tuesday. Some, yeah, it's just never going to but be it's Sunday. Yeah. Right. For, I, so lies for no reason. I don't know. It's so just, I feel like Ali's going to find out first. Ali is definitely suspicious about this. Ali's suspicious. Ali works in a hospital. Irish Tina is pregnant. Yeah. But he's... This is what I like about Ali. Ali is just kind of leaning against the bar, leaning against the counter, just mm-hmm. observing stuff and having a kind of quizzical look on his face while everyone else is just falling for all the bullshit that's going on right. about them. yeah. But he's kind of... Mm, yeah. Has that kind of... I don't know. Just a thoughtful expression of... You know, mm. and says, you know, are you sure about this? Right. Is this really what you want? But doesn't press too hard on it. No. He's not like Bethany. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Getting in his mother's face and saying, what are you doing? This is so stupid. When that is actual... Michelle actually needs somebody to get on her face and say, what are you doing? This is so stupid. Right. As opposed to Sarah. Yep. Who kind of knows what she's getting into. Yeah. You know, as, as Sarah pointed out to Izzy, it's like, it's Adam Barlow. I grew up with him. I know what he's like. I'm, I'm not deceived in the least about who this person is. You know? Right. Ugh. Moment of the week. Wayne and Roy. Absolutely. There was just that, oh, just a wonderful scene. I, I loved every bit of it. And it was lit so beautifully as well, mm-hmm. just really warm and... Yes, oh, just, and lovely. Just a little conversation between two of them about sort of bits of regret and how Wayne used that positive memory of the right. African Plain book just to lift Roy and yes. make him feel better that he and how it's such he's a capable simple... of being loved. Right? Yeah. Yes. And capable of loving. Right. You know, because Roy seems to be worried and concerned that he's becoming his mother. Right. And incapable of love and stuff. And, and certainly the way that he's been behaving to his friends recently. Yeah. That's going to make him feel more like that. Yeah. But yeah, that, that just set him back on that this was path. Really nice. and, and he was far more positive I loved on Friday. It. Yeah. yeah. So that's our moment oh, of the week. Moment of the week. Boring on the moment of the week. Jake sorting spoons. Jake sorting spoons? Mm-hmm. When was Jake sorting spoons? When Shona was telling him to sort spoons. 
the cafe. I feel quite sorry for Jake getting a boring moment of the week for that. I didn't really know if there was anything deserving. Like I couldn't really think of anything, but Beth choosing between tinned sausages and beans or tinned English breakfast for Bertie's dinner, it led to something great, which was Ruby. Right. But in and of itself, it was a little dull, but I think that would have been our least boring, boring moment of the week. Yeah. You want to do Jake and his spoons? Jake and his spoons. Sorry, Jake. You're our... <laughs> it's not really Jake, it's the spoons. Let's be honest. Also, forks would have been better. <laughs> Jake's sort of anything. Right, yeah. yeah okay. And I mean, the kid was bored. It was boring for him as well. Right. That's our... Boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. It is 11.40. And yes, let's let's get this wrapped up. four hours work to do before I can quit my bed. If you want to get in touch with us, here's how you can make that dream come true for you. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com on email for emails, Skype for voicemails, and PayPal if you have a couple of bucks that you want to throw away if you think we're doing a decent job, but based on this week's episode, probably not. If Otherwise... you like jokes about poop and <laughs> testicles. There's plenty more where that came from. <laughs> Otherwise, we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter and Facebook, and we have a blog which is the talk of the street podcast.wordpress.com. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode and we will be back next week with more Talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.